Good evening, listeners, and thanks for tuning in to Resonance 104.4 FM. You just heard Club Integral, and you are now listening to Very Loose Women. You're listening to Very Loose Women. I am Leo, and in the studio tonight we have Florence Burson, who has come on the show many times before. Uh, she's from the Women's Resource Centre, and she runs the Women's Speak Out project. And through that, she met Elaine Willis, who has come on the show tonight to speak about a main topic, affordable housing. First of all, Florence, could you tell us a bit about Women's Speak Out? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Women's Resource Centre runs the Women's Speak Out project, um, and it's a project that aims at gathering women's stories through video um, on a range of different topics, from housing, like lanes um, through to domestic violence or problems with benefits or workplace discrimination um, and we also um, write research too we've got a report coming out soon so uh, look out for that online um, and we also encourage uh, women to submit their stories to uh, government consultations on uh, changing the law around certain things for example um, and try and hook them up with media stuff too. Elaine, you heard about the project, I assume, because I've seen your video. Um, yeah. So how did you meet Florence and how did you get involved in that? I saw a Twitter, I think, came out asking for people who've got any um, issues, anything they want to, uh, that's really close to their heart. So mm. I contacted Florence and then she contacted me and we met and we did this video, which was amazing because I've never done anything like it in my life before. And it's gone from there. It's been absolutely, it's been good fun to do, but it's also been able to highlight things that I'm very passionate about. So, so that's it. What motivated you to want to speak about housing? My daughter. And the way people today haven't got the chances that I had all those years ago, many years mm. ago. And my daughter's now living in a two-bedroom flat and the littlest room's 63 square foot, which is a tiny little room, and her son's in there. But she shares a bedroom with her partner and her two little girls who are seven and six, so it just doesn't seem right. And when we approached the council, she went on the bidding list and she's bid now for over 400 properties and she doesn't get a look in. So she's at high, she's in that much need, but there's people that are in more need, if you like. Mm. So what are these people going to go? Where are they going to go? So um, she's in council housing. She's in, her, she's she's in, in a housing association flat. She's in a housing association mm. flat. What's the difference there between... Well, council housing... Council sold off all their stock to the housing associations for about a pound or a peppercorn amount because they didn't want to run them anymore. They didn't want to have the hassle of actually managing them so the housing association bought them up and they now run them for the councils but the council keeps the list of people that are eligible it's very very confusing it, it, very it confusing. doesn't it doesn't and some count some housing associations have their own lists as well yeah but a lot of them run through council so and i think that's more or less right across the country um and people bid on the chance the property's coming up and the amount of bids that come up for three bedroom houses is horrendously high there's a huge amount of demand for it but there isn't the properties there and in our borough in Bexley I think it's more or less across the whole of London they're knocking down council estates to improve them but when they rebuild them they only have to give back 35% for social housing and that is not enough because you're displacing all those people you put out so that 35% is gone straight away before you've even so you're not improving the list right. you're not cutting the list down at all you're, in, you're increasing the list and it's going to get worse and it's it, it's right across the borough 
the boroughs rather and on our on our council i think there's just under five thousand people on the waiting list so if you take that across 32 boroughs it's a huge amount and, and that's only london your daughter's mm. within that and my daughter's within that so she's in housing association which Flat. is re- related to the council but it's not a council yeah. house but it's still so it's still classed as social housing it's still, it's still classed as social right. housing because social housing council houses don't actually exist anymore it's all housing associations right and be the council houses, when they did the right to buy, which yeah. is my pet hate. We'll hear about that the, later on in the show. <laughs> when they did the right to buy, they they bought people bought their council houses and they never replaced them then. So you're mm. you're even by the most stupid person in the world can look at it. If you're selling something and not replacing it, eventually you're going to mm. run out of it. And, and Maggie Thatcher thought it was such a brilliant thing to do. Your daughter's um, family is suffering from overcrowding, mm, totally. um, yeah. and there are, but because there are people in more desperate need above yeah. her in the list, yeah. she's not accessing exactly. um, those yeah. other spaces. And, and they said look for private housing. So we, we did look, mm. um, but she has to have a month's rent up front, which is about £1,500 for three-bedroom house, which is what she needs. Then you've got £1,500 a month for the rent. Um, at the moment her and her partner keep themselves above board they don't claim any benefits and they don't want to they want to keep their own children you know they bring them up themselves so at the minute they're not claiming benefits but if they went into that then they'd have to claim benefits they could not afford because it's more than they actually earn Mm. so they couldn't afford to do that so they stay in port and hoping basically that's all they can do but it's affecting the kids they can't they when the council came down to see we i asked the environmental health to come down because i didn't think it was right the environmental health came down and said well you can you can sleep in the front room they can have the front and they've only got a front room a kitchen and two bedrooms so then they would effectively make the whole place a bedroom the whole whole flat would be a bedroom mm. and there'd be nowhere for the kids to eat as such because she does make them sit up a table because they have to have manners basically there'd be nowhere for them to eat there'd be nowhere for them to do their homework because the bedrooms they've got now yeah she could have put a table in there for one but it would have been very difficult for them to manage and to add insult to injury her partner works night shifts so how could he sleep in the front room with the kids around and whatever it just it just is impossible now it's hard now it's not the kids all go to school so it's fine in the in the school time because takes him to school, he comes home, he goes to bed, fine. Six weeks holidays, you've got no chance because all the kids are out playing, everybody... He doesn't sleep. So it's detrimental for all their health. It's all of them. And the place is so small, it's so pokey and hot and it's it's horrible. You said in in your video about the sort of history of council housing. Why do you think it's something that's that's important? Why is that something where you said that you hadn't been an activist all your life no, and suddenly you're starting to, it, to, to get me, involved in activism? What You can't have everybody with a salary, with a degree, with with higher paid jobs. It's just not, it's not there. There isn't enough work for people with that degree. You're always going to have people that wash the floors, clean the toilets, make your coffee, do your shopping, work in the hospital because hospitals are not well paid for, even the nurses are not well paid now but for the cleaners and the porters the money's not there so these people they do very important jobs but they can't afford a two hundred and fifty thousand pound mortgage that's a quarter of a million pound on seven pound fifty or eight pound i don't even know what the minimum wage is anymore on that a week they can't do it nobody would give them a mortgage to start with so that's out the window private rented is very difficult because they want this exorbitant about money so that's out the window so where are they supposed to go the people that make your coffee in the morning, where are they supposed to live? And you can't just ignore them because they're part... If they stopped living in London or they were all moved out of London and they couldn't get into London, London would grind to a halt. It would just stop. 
So what are they supposed to do with these people? So it's always been something in my mind that's always been there, that low-paid people are just as important as high-paid people. they got their own little niche in their life. They don't want to move on. They, they're happy doing whatever they're going to do. But they should be recognised for doing their jobs and giving them somewhere decent to live. It's just wrong. It's not, not right. You mentioned earlier about the right to buy... Um policy um, and you're making a face right now what is right to buy from yeah so from from, you've you've got a particular opinion on it I should tell listeners when when I went to college 23 years ago or whatever it was I had to do a thing on a policy that the government had bought in how it would impact it was something I was I wrote a piece then about the right to buy was going to come back and really cause issues later on. They, everybody sort of looked at me and said, you're mad, it was not going to happen. But if you're going to buy something at such a disproportionate amount of money and then not replace what you're buying, you're going to have, a, like we are now in a housing crisis, because people can't have anywhere to live. My father-in-law bought his house, and I've just found out because they gave me the deeds. When he's, he died a little while ago, so I had the deeds of the house, and I'm looking after it. <laughs> That's a long story. But anyway, I looked at it, and they bought it in 1990 for £30,000, mm. flat out. It's a three-bedroom house in Albany Park in Sidcup. That house next door is now sold. The next-door house sold for 455000 and that was about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So you've got huge... Ma- so the people that were... Those houses that were built where I grew up is a big, huge council estate. It's not a council estate anymore. It is suburbia. It's ultimate suburbia now. It's all the posh houses and all the bits and pieces. So they've now taken that away from council. There's nowhere for them to go. And it... it I always knew there was a shortage, but it didn't affect me personally until it affected me personally. Then I started peeling away the layers mm-hmm. and realising it's not just Hayley, it's a huge amount of people this is affecting. And then Bexley started knocking down estates, like I said, all over the place. And they said, hey, sent Hayley a letter and said, do you want to buy? You can you help to buy, I think it was the government bought in. And they sent her a letter and said, you can have a tenancy for five years on this three-bedroom house. It's £855 a month, which was a bit but possibly manageable if mum and bank and mum and dad had helped. But in those five years, you'd have to save up the deposit for a £255,000 house. And if you didn't save up the deposit, your tenancy would be revoked. So she would have... How do people do that on a low wage? It's just not... And there's... Right to buy, to me, really great because you've got people's families that bought the house and they didn't shouldn't have done that. They should never have done that. It's like you've got an old lady living in a house who's got 30 years discount and her family buy the house in her name. And then when she dies, they sell the house and make a fortune. But that house, when she dies, should have gone back to another family. It shouldn't have, been, it shouldn't have done that. They would never have evicted her. She would have lived her life out. But the family wanted to make money. And it all stinks. It just really stinks. Of, it's just not fair. When I was needed a house, there was a house there for me. When After the war, when the place got obliterated, they built council houses and people had somewhere to live. And There's no hope for youngsters today if you've got no money, if you've got... You can work, you can work your butt off doing whatever jobs you're doing, but if there's nothing for you to get out of it, what, what, where are they going to go? 
Just on that note, I've got um, the first part of the uh, oh, ongoing God. housing quiz that we'll be running throughout <laughs> throughout this episode. Um, and so the first question that I have is, in 1979, what percentage of Britons mm. lived in council homes? Is it A, 8%, B, 42%, or C, 58%? I think it was 58%. It was about that much. Am what do you think, Florence? I reckon about that. Yeah, I think it's probably a lot. So according to this article that I found, it's actually 42%. Okay. So It's for- nearly half and half either way isn't it 42% of Britons lived in in council homes in 1979 you said that you you grew up in a council estate I I grew up in a single parent family and my mum had a three bedroom it's the same estate as my mother-in-law because I saw where I met my husband we grew up together and we lived in there sort of all our lives and I've always we'd always had this the um security basically because my dad had gone long long gone so we had the security of having at least a home she had even though she didn't earn enough she worked she managed to keep the rent paid so we had a home and it was difficult that now there isn't that security there's nowhere for people to put roots down you you up you put private tenancies aren't always long anyway they're only six months so you could be uprooting your kids from what they know every six months and moving them around going to school if you're doing GCSEs and you've got to move how would that impact on you all these sort of things and if you haven't got a home that the government are shouting off about obesity yay obesity fat kids well they're getting takeaways half the time what do they expect they've got no kitchens they've got no kitchens they've got nowhere to cook they've got no where are they supposed to eat and cook for these children well on the topic of, of what's going on today i actually have the same question for the percentage of britons living in council homes today with those three lower. three options it's, i should imagine it's about eight percent it now. is eight percent so from wow, 79 to today God. it's dropped from 40 so you've got the right to, to buy has bought up a huge amount of houses that that's what's in between and actually um on the right to buy i've got I've got an extensive question on that as part of this quiz. Um, So the total number of homes... So Right to Buy came about in 1980 and DCLG, Mm. which is a government ministry that deals with this, calculated a specific number between 1980 and 2013 of number of homes that were sold off under the scheme. Um, So is it A, 469,898, B, 1,269,898, or 1,000,000? 800,000, uh, 869,000. Mm. So that's 1.8 million. I think it's probably 1.8 million. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. You're right. So it is. It's 1.8 million. Mm. Um, I remembered that from so earlier. So that's 1.8 million houses that have yeah. come out of the pot mm. for people to rent mm. at a decent, affordable rate that have never been replaced. That's Well, that, well we don't... I they don't have the statistics very, on... Very, very few have been replaced. So... Because Maggie Thatcher wouldn't let me use the money. They bought the houses and then the money was put in a pot and they weren't allowed to access it. So the money was sitting there for them not to do anything with. So they never rebuilt any of the houses. So, yeah, exactly. So I read earlier today that the money gained from Right to Buy was put to pay off council debt and not to buy new new homes. So that that wasn't explicit policy in in the 80s. She wouldn't let them release it. They argued, to be fair, some councils argued, but they didn't let them release it. So the money was sitting there paying debts off while people were going homeless. Um, and then my second to last question of the of the quiz is where was the first council estate and when was it built? No idea. I don't no idea. Know. Do you know Florence? I don't know either. So again, I wouldn't have known this had I not um, found Milton it. Milton Keynes or something. It's actually in Shoreditch. Um, really? Wow. Uh, on the border of Shoreditch and Bethnal Green. Uh, it's Boundary Street and it was built in 1893. Brilliant. Wow. So that's the first one. So if you've had council housing for all them years, all those years ago, they realised they had to do it. 
why are they now saying, no, we can't do it? There's no reason for it now. It doesn't make sense. The, the demographics haven't changed that much. You've still got poor people and you'll still always have poorer people. So why are they not acknowledging that? It, that makes me very cross that they're not acknowledging people for what they are. There's also just such wider implications as well because it's not obviously housing impacts on every aspect of a person's life and particularly when talking about things like um, domestic violence and women fleeing quite violent situations with children often. If you don't have the place, uh, you if you don't have the refuge provision in place, which we don't at the moment because of massive, massive funding cuts, that's one problem. Um, Another problem is that there's no council housing for women to move on to. So you have a situation where there's no refuge provision. So perhaps women are put in really unsafe um, bed and breakfasts or hostels where there's um, often um, men with mental health or like substance misuse problems living in the same place with no locks on the doors, mm -hmm. things like that. If they do have a refuge that they can go to, they're often staying there, you know, for six months which is just such it's a long wrong. time to be in that kind of environment. And as you were saying earlier, Elaine, as well, they can't take they can't children take in children. over They can't take age. boys over 15, which I think is wrong. If you've so got that's breaking 15 up families. Year old, yeah, it's breaking up families. And I think if you, if you look at the whole context, we've had Mental Health Week, I think last week or the week before, if you've got people that are not housed, it's got a huge impact on their mental health. They've got no stability in their lives if they don't know where they're going to be sleeping tomorrow they've got no their mental health is going to go all up the creek they their depression will come in and then it will get exacerbated by not having somewhere to feed your kids and if you've got kids that are unhappy mothers are unhappy it's just a spiral that's going to keep going and going and going and i think that is unacceptable they keep saying all oh, mental health's a big thing yeah well look at what's causing it don't just say it's a big thing we should recognize it. yeah we recognize it but look at the causes because there's a huge amount of causes there that spiral from having nowhere to live so apart from speaking out about this issue you've also sort of taken uh concrete steps um in that you're part of um a housing cooperative which is a sort of new a different way of approaching the, always, the same issue i've lived on a housing co-op all my life <clears throat> all my married life should i say and to me it's a really good way of trying to look at the problem and trying to solve it it our housing co-op is only 84 properties, which is brilliant. The rent's affordable and we look after the estate ourselves and we've, we're in a profit, we're managing it. So if we can do it, I don't understand why on a grander scale it can't be done as well, why we can't look at helping people rent their homes, building an estate for them to rent. Because to me, if you're paying out this huge amounts of housing benefits to private landlords, which a lot of them are owned by the same landlords and they earn an awful lot of money out of our tax money which is private housing benefit why can't we build houses don't pay housing benefit and have those houses as collateral and you're trying to move on it doesn't make any logical sense in my brain why they can't do that but your your estate was one of the first one of the ones. first ones in in our borough it was one of the first ones and it's it's quite it's a nice estate it's it's not huge it's well kept and we we look out for each other we know each other and we um try and make it work and we have made it work and there's that idea of community as well the community you grew is up there. With we, in a council yeah. estate i grew up in a council estate and I, as i say i met my husband on the same council mm. estate and we grew up together and we've i've been well, a long time now i've been married 40 years next year so it just seems like forever but that community if you go back to that estate now which is where my mother-in-law lives and my mum she's no longer here but that we don't know anybody anymore. You used to know everybody from, oh, they live down that road or they live up that road. You don't know anybody anymore. 
and it's quite hard. But when you come back to our estate, I know the next door neighbour, I know the lady across the road, and they, we know all of them. And it, you've got that community back again. And if somebody passes away, we all, a lot of us go to the funerals, and a lot of us do that. If they have a baby, you do, it is very much old school in that sense. And that's missing as well. And it does make a difference to how you live. But it, it's just, I feel very passionate about the fact that they're, they're just demonising people because they want to live in a council house because of what about this lady's got nine kids, she's demanding this, that and the other. For every one lady that's got nine kids demanding somewhere or the other, there's about 100 other women that have got two or three kids that are overcrowded. It just seems that they focus on this big impact one to make their point and forget that there's other people there. And that television, benefit porn television as I call it, is wrong. Since you've been speaking about this, have you feel that it's changed... Um, your approach to it or your attitude towards... Perhaps it's, perhaps not because you've got some fundamental values here. It's made me here, very but, angry mm. that people don't understand. People don't listen. They they understand, but they don't listen. They don't want to know. And I think with... Can I mention the election? We've got an election. I'm not going on things, but the election to me, housing should have been one of the highest priorities, not Brexit and then everything else underneath. Mm. Because housing, if you haven't got a home, you haven't got anything. If you haven't got somewhere to lay your head and pay, eat your dinner and, you know be a family and you've got nothing I wouldn't they wouldn't care what Brexit is doing if they've got nowhere to live what is the point if it should to me it should have been one of the bigger things on the um, manifestos it's frustrating it's very frustrating we've got that last question of the quiz that you'll never find out what it was it was about empty homes and and there are a lot of them so uh, so I'll, I'll leave it there um, but thanks so much to, to both of you for coming on thanks so much Elaine and thanks Thank again Florence um, for helping organise this so uh, I am here in the studio with Paula um, that was Elaine Willis uh, from the Women Speak Out project and Paula has also um, lived in a housing cooperative. Can you tell us a bit about that experience? Sure. So I was living for one year in my final university year in the Edinburgh Student Housing Cooperative, which was the first student housing co-op set up in the UK. And I know there's a few that picked up from Birmingham and other places. And it was awesome. So the way it worked is that a group of students got really fed up with extortionary rents and like landlords that wanted to make a lot of money out of students and managed to get a lease from the city council uh, of a group of student halls for five years and set up a cooperative to run it as students. So who were your landlords? Our landlords was Edinburgh City Council uh, but and the cooperative was the leaseholder. Okay. I was part of the group of students who lived there. I wasn't like mm. super active in the... Mm creating the project itself but um, as a cooperative you're a member so you pay a share to to have a vote in okay. the cooperative and everyone had a say in the way it was run so when I got involved it was the summer before the moving in period and everything was kind of up in the air we didn't really know how to run things properly and because it is a one vote one person one vote system you have to decide everything democratically, which is great, but then at the same time it can lead to interminable meetings in a very right. cold basement. <laughs> so that was kind of intense in the first few months to decide every single little thing, but also super exciting. What, what were the kind of discussions you were having in the basement? I remember discussions on um, what kind of involvement can you demand of people? Because yeah. we wanted to, obviously there were some things which had to be done, such as, I don't know, safety duties or um, cleaning duties also 
But at the same time, we didn't want to be like a force, force it upon anyone. So we had to decide which level of engagement, how many hours or on what basis would people be engaged in keeping the cooperative going. And that was like the practical stuff. And then there was the very theoretical slash political discussions on how should, we, how should we vote? Like, should we always vote as a consensus and like have a consensus on everything? But obviously when it's just about, you know, cleaning duties doesn't really make that much sense mm. and what so what's the the advantage i imagine is lower rent it was yeah so we were paying if i'm not wrong about 300 pounds for living there all included in an era where like simply rent can cost up to 500s or more so this is for in a room in a larger house it was two buildings where 106 students were housed and it was like a group of flats by three or, or five rooms so everybody had their privacy and like a smaller unit, which kind of became your family. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, there were like events and most flats had their doors open. So you could just like pop for tea or it was really, really cool. That's something that came up in the other interview. So Elaine grew up on a housing estate and she now lives in a cooperative. And there's that a similar feel of you pop around to people's housing uh, houses. You go, um, you go over to the house, they have a baby. Obviously, there's a student hall, so maybe that's less frequent. Um, but yeah, it seems like that's something that's that's transposed. Did you like form any friendships um, through that? Yeah. There was um, my whole social life was in the co-op. I was also in my final year of uni, a bit stressed out, so it was good to have that kind of support base mm. looking out for you and just coming around and say hello in the evening. It was really feeling like a family away from home. And you said you got involved before you moved in. So were you getting involved for like political reasons or were you angling for a room? I was angling for a room, I have to admit. So I loved the political project, but I was just really desperate to get a room because I had been spending one year abroad. um, And so I'd just come back to Edinburgh. I'd lost a bit of the connection with my friends there. I didn't know if there were rooms available. And then I learned about this project and I applied. I don't know how the application process worked. And I was pretty applying late in the day, but... I got lucky and I got in. And since then, have you kind of had a different view on housing or is it something that you've kept in the back of your mind? I definitely, when I settled down, I've been kind of country hopping and changing very many flats in the past years. But when I choose a city to live in and settle down, I would love to have something similar, either be part of a cooperative or start living in a much more cooperative way, even if it doesn't necessarily mean setting up one. But I know that uh, when I moved to London back in September, I was looking for cooperatives to move in. And there's a few. There's actually quite a few. And they always seem the kind of vibe that I'm looking for in a flat, which is not just about you know, sharing a roof because it's cheaper, but it's also we are trying to create an alternative which can lead to economical benefits, but benefits in also many other sorts of way. And what is cooperatives included, but I don't imagine it was then, what is the worst housing experience you've ever had? Oh, wow. Well, it can be just for one night. I think you know what I'm hinting at. No? What? No, which one? Okay. Well, no. when I was living in Paris, I was actually living like in a penthouse, an amazing flat um, shared with six other people. And then they sublet this room to a girl who... I did not know the story. No? No. Okay. I thought I told you before. But anyways, this girl... Um, 
moved to Paris because she wanted to be a TV host. And actually, she was like doing drugs and having parties all night long. And my mom had come to visit, and I put her up in like my room, which was next to hers. And I'd gone to live, couldn't to sleep on the couch. And then at some point at 3 a.m., she invites her friends over, and she starts like having a party, like throwing an actual party in the room next to where my mom's sleeping. And I'm like. It's a penthouse. There's like a kitchen which is two kilometers away. Just like move it, please. And she just wouldn't have it. And I just had to tell my mom I'm sorry and like hush my anger down. But then I had a little revenge when like at 5 a.m. in the morning she like kept banging the door because she's forgotten the key and I just left her outside. What? That's so bad. I know. That's so bad. I'm sorry, but like she kind of deserved it. Um, thanks so much for coming on Very Loose Women, Paula. No problem. Um, I should add that Paula listens to the show, which is not the case of all of our guests. So I'm particularly grateful that you've managed to come on. I am pretty excited. Is there a song that you want to finish with? There's My House. I don't know if you put it on already. You know what? That is exactly the one that, <laughs> that you put on. That, that was re- our, our House by yeah. Madness. Yeah, that one, one was requested by, by Elaine already. Here it is. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, you've been listening to Very Least Women on Resonance FM. Father wears his Sunday best Mother's tired, she needs a rest The kids are playing up downstairs Sister's sighing in her sleep Brother's got a date to keep He can't hang around Our house In the middle of our street Our house In the middle of our Our house, it has a crowd There's always something happening And it's usually quite loud our mum, she's so house proud Nothing ever slows her down And a mess is not allowed Our house In the middle of our street Our house In the middle of our Our house In the middle of our street Something tells you that you've got to move In the middle of our Father gets up late for work Mother has to earn his shirt Sends the kids to school Sees them off with a small kiss She's the one they're going to miss In lots of ways Our house